Give the Lord another hand, please. Praise God. Uh, I knew we would be blessed. And uh, gosh, thank you guys so much for every one of you sharing your gifts with us, leading us into the Lord's presence. We are deeply, deeply blessed with the uh, body of Christ this morning. Amen? Amen? Amen. Oh, come on. We're bringing your A game. Okay. Not just about me, you too. I do better when you do better, all right? So Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, grab that. I'm going to read the text for us, pray for us one more time, and then we will jump in. And I'll tell you what, this, this passage is so pertinent to where we are historically as a nation and um, probably personally. So Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith... Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for your timely word. Your eternal word is very practical in our everyday circumstances. And Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we have lots of reasons to be anxious. There are many things that are weighing on our hearts and souls in this season. There's a political climate that many of us are concerned over. There is a... um, a, a pandemic that is, that is going on in our culture that is making some of us live in, in a lot of fear. There um, are financial struggles that we're facing in this season. There are so many things that we can be worried about. But Lord, I pray that we would let your word speak into our worries. We would let your wisdom speak into our lives. And by your grace, we would be your people that stand stable in the midst of the storms of life. We stand in confidence to get true of the trials of life. And Lord, the only way we're going to get there is if you make it true through your word and through your spirit in our hearts. So we're inviting you, spirit, come, make us alive, make us into your people so that we might have the faith that this world needs to see. We ask this in the name of your son. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to talk today about worry, and many of us are worried about many, many things. There are so many reasons to worry nowadays, um, and, and what we're supposed to be is focused on Jesus Christ, which will be represented by this large ball with a crown, right? 
We're supposed to be focused on Jesus Christ. He should be the one that, that focuses us in the midst of the trials of life, but in really all of life. We are supposed to be focused on Jesus Christ alone. The problem is you have Jesus, but then there are worries that end up coming at you. So there's financial concerns, right? There's relational concerns. There's my job. There's my business. There's my social media platform. There's political climates. There's uh, my marriage. There's my spouse. And then that's all before you even like get out of high school, right? I mean, like, like once, you're, once you're out of high school, like you have all these issues of, of college. And in college, you're just like, what about my major? What about my career? What about my internship? Oh my gosh. And you're like, oh, you got all these sorts of issues coming up. And then you get married and then you find the one. And you're like, okay, I, I, think, I think this is the one. I need, to, I need to pray about it, right? I need to pray about it. And then I need to have friends advise me about it. And then I need to have uh, an engagement plan. And then we're going to get married um, some great place. And my, do they know my parents? Do I like their parents? Oh my gosh, what's their brother like? Oh my gosh, you have those issues. And then you have a baby. <laughs> and that baby starts 10 pounds, but that baby grows right? And then you're like, okay, what am I going to feed that child? What am I going to clothe that child with? What am I going to do in the future with that child? Homeschool, private school, uh, job opportunities, ACT, SAT. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do with their life? And all of these worries hit you deeper and deeper, but it's not just those issues. I mean, we, like, like our culturally, we have issues that are much bigger than this. There's like, I don't know, a political unrest, right? A political election, Let's just throw like on top of that. There's also, I don't know, um, weather issues. I don't know, these random hurricanes and fires that are hitting our nation. Oh my, like just throw something else in there. And not only that, there's a pandemic. And all of these things, when they come flooding our way, it's not that we think Jesus is unimportant. It's not that we don't love Jesus. It's just that every other trial and struggle we face has a way of making us lose him in the midst of it. And the reality is this. Thank you so much, buddy. Give him a hand. The reality is this. The trials of life have us losing the most important thing in life. The worries of life have us a way of, of pushing Jesus to the side because we got all these things coming our way. And I'm not trying to minimize those concerns. There's some really big worries, very big challenges hitting us these days. There's one article in the USA Today. It says this, COVID, hurricanes, wildfires, politics 2020 is an American nightmare that's wearing us out. This article says, in a sense, essentially, it's in a sense of psychological overwhelm, says Patrick Hardy, a certified emergency manager and risk manager. Well, you've been constantly bombarded with negative information and it creates a sense of doom. Gallup poll says this, 69% of voters were more enthusiastic than prior years, um, up 50% from 2016 over this election. 64% uh, of voters are afraid of what will happen if their candidate loses. 64% of us are afraid of what's going to happen if our person loses. And 77% of voters say 
that the stakes are higher this year than in any previous election. This election cycle is freaking us out. The weather issues are freaking us out. Not only that, piled on top of all of that is, is very real sources of anxiety and depression. The Houston Chronicle said this, a study released um, from the Hobby School of Public Affairs said this, that 34% of women and 25% of men said that they felt anxious nearly every day and more than half of each week. With all of these pressures, all of these challenges have a way of making us very, very anxious. And this morning, what we want to look at is, Jesus, do you have anything to say into that reality? Do you have anything to say into the anxiety, the challenges that I'm facing in life? Jesus, do you have a word to speak and how to deal with the anxieties I face? And the reality is he does. The Bible speaks into every part of life, including us in this political climate, in this cultural moment. Jesus has a word for us. And now I, I, I want to put one caveat. I'm not going to be speaking today primarily about um, anxiety as a, as a mental um, portion of life. We know that there are uh, doctors and, and psychologists that can help you in that particular anxiety and depression that's um, on a medical level. But I am going to speak to the practical daily issues of anxiety or worry that hit all of us. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have to deal with worries in life. And the reality of the reason why we worry that Jesus is going to identify is this. That we worry because we don't really trust God with our life. We worry because we ultimately we really don't trust God with our lives. And the way Jesus is going to frame it is this. He's going to give us a premise He's going to tell us to pause and to think about some things, and then he's going to show us a path forward. And so he begins with the premise, and it's a simple premise that he's going to lay on us in verse 23. He says this, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. He says, don't worry. Whether what you're going to eat or drink, nor about your body, nor what you're going to put on, is life not more than food or the body more than clothing? It's so funny in this starting point. He says, look, when you have all of those worries coming at you, here's what I want you to do. Stop it. Which is funny advice. Because uh, if you have kids, uh, you've seen this. Like, they'll be freaking out. They'll be yelling. Something will be going on. They'll be like, ah, ah, ah. And you'll just say to them, stop. Why? Because if you don't stop, you can't have an intellectually helpful conversation. So he tells us, stop. And he addresses worries. And he addresses worries that aren't the worries that you would think. See, at the time, culturally, there were all sorts of things that the Jewish nation could be worried about. They had a Roman oppressive government that was over them, that was holding them down in many ways. They had issues within their own culture that they could be dealing with. But Jesus doesn't deal with any of those. He says, I don't want you to worry. And then he goes to the most basic things of life. He says, I don't want you to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. I don't want you to worry about what you eat, your daily nutrition. I don't want you to worry about what you're going to drink, that the fluid that you need to sustain life. I don't want you to worry about that. And I don't want you to worry about your clothing. I don't want you to worry about whether or not you've got to walk around naked. Like any of those things, I don't want you to worry about. And what's funny is that he goes to the basics to show us a point. And there's two reasons he could be doing this. He could be doing this because he's addressing a poor people. 
And that's possible. Uh, last week he was dealing with um, the rich or the wealthy to not, not be holding on to your wealth. Don't let your wealth control you. We talked about that last week. Billy did a great job talking about that last week. It's possible he's talking about that, but I think more likely he's addressing a tendency in us to worry about the necessities of life. And he says, look, I want you to not worry about your life. I want you to not worry about the basic needs because if you let the basic needs of life concern you, you'll be ineffective for the kingdom of God. Jesus tells a parable about throwing seed onto the soil. He says, some seed fell upon rocky soil, some seed fell uh, upon good soil but didn't grow deep enough, and some seed fell uh, upon good soil and was able to grow. And, and in that middle soil, he says, there's something that grows up that stops the seed from growing deep and taking hold. He says, what stops the seed, the word of God, from growing deep in your life is this. There's, there's thorns and thistles, there's weeds that grow up and those are the worries of the world. And those choke out the life. He says what will stop you from actually being effective from the kingdom of God is when you let worries creep up and start choking out your life. And you get spun up in worry. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to show you how to let worry have its proper place. And to not let worries rule you. He says, I want you to first stop. That's the premise. Do not worry about your basic needs. And then he calls a pause. He calls a timeout. And every good coach does this. If you're on the basketball court or you're on the football field, every good coach knows when things are not going well, when the players are in disarray, when there's chaos around, what does a good coach do? Timeout. And he huddles in the guys and he says, okay, let's reset. What are we doing here? And when you reset and focus on where you need to be focused, you can move forward in a healthy way. And that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to say, stop worrying. Time out. Pause. And in this pause, there's four things I want you to look at. Four things I want you to focus on from this passage. The first thing is this. I want you to look at God's provision in nature. How do we remove the worry. I want you to look at God's provision in nature. Verse 26 says it this way. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? He says, first of all, I want you to look at the birds. And birds aren't big planters, right? Like birds aren't, aren't, aren't sowing seeds. They're not harvesting. They're not storing things in barns. Birds aren't planters. When things aren't going well in one area, they just fly to the next, right? They fly south of the winter. They, birds are not big planters. And he says, look, I want you to just take a moment and look at how I provided for nature. They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather their food in the barns. And look, I care for all of them. In a comparable passage in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24, Jesus says this, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more of more value are you than birds? And he sees an interesting word there. He says, consider the ravens. Now to the Jewish people, the raven was an unclean animal. And so it'd be like to us saying, consider the cockroach. And you'd be like, really? Do I have to? You're like, yeah, just for a moment. Think about the cockroach. Think about the most disgusting creature that you could ever come across, right? The cockroach. And it's fascinating to be like, cockroaches apparently will survive everything. If there's like a nuclear 
war or something like that, the lone survivors would be the cockroach. Like, they'll survive anything. He goes, look, God provides for them to live. Animals that we would just want to crush underfoot, God cares about. He says, are you not much more valuable than them? You are. You, he cares for you. He cares for you. You're so much more valuable. The word valuable um, means to be of high worth. He says, you're worth more than the birds or the cockroaches underfoot. You're worth more than that. He says, do you trust him? Look at God's provision and nature. And then he points you a second place. He says, I want you to look at the limits of your worry. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? You ever thought about that? You ever take the moment and say, where are my thoughts leading me? And is that where I want to be? And he says, I want you to look at the limits of worry. Worry will not extend your life. In fact, it has the opposite effect. If you were to take a moment and you were to look at all of your worries and you were to write them out and all the potential consequences of all of your worries, you know what would happen to you if you let that fester and you let that kind of work deep in your soul? You know what's going to happen? You're going to die quicker. Anxiety, heart issues, all of those things, those stresses will shorten your life. They will not lengthen your life. He says, which of you by holding on to all these worries can add a single hour to your lifespan? None of us can. Worry is a worthless endeavor. And what Jesus is saying is this, I want you to take a moment and stop just listening to yourself, but start talking to yourself. Stop listening to every thought that comes into your mind, believing that it's true, but actually take that thought and ask the question, is this legitimately from God or, or is it not? Like take avenue of your thoughts. Not every thought is worth having. And if a thought isn't a good thought, you can think a new one. I should write a Dr. Seuss book. Think a better thought, you know? Like you should have a better thought. In fact, saints of old have known this and practiced this. It is our responsibility not to assume every thought is right, but to actually evaluate the thought. David says it this way in Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why is there turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my, the God of my salvation. David in this moment says, looks at his soul and says, Soul, why are, you mess, why are you freaking out? Why are you in turmoil? He's like, why are you, and he takes this moment to look internally and say, what is going on? David Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, says in his book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures, he says this, have you realized that most of your unhappiness of life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now here's what David does in the psalm. Instead of allowing this self to talk to himself, he starts talking to himself. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And he looks at this moment to say, I can change my thoughts. His soul and his, is depressing him. It's crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. That's beautiful. You can take the moment and take that thought and say, you know what? I don't let, I don't have to let this worry rule me. I can say, where's the end? 
what is the end of this worry? And I can talk to the, to the God of the universe about my worries. Thirdly, he says this. Look at nature's beauty. Look at God's provision in nature. Look at the end that worry brings. And thirdly, look at nature's beauty. Verse 28 says this. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, I want you to take a moment and just walk through the fields and look at the flowers. Solomon himself, the greatest king of the Old Testament, the most wealthy king of the Old Testament, was not arrayed like one of, like one of these lilies of the field. One of the things I love to do in the springtime is to drive the Texas highways. And you see the blue bonnets covering the rolling green hills. Or you see the, the Indian paintbrushes kind of, kind of coming up. And, and you look at the beauty of nature as those flowers cover the fields. You're like, this is absolutely amazing. And, and what Jesus is saying is, yeah, there's a God who clothes them beautifully. I love going to... Um, uh, places that have uh, more seasons than, than Texas. I know we've got two good ones, um, hot and hotter. Uh, except for today, like enjoy these like four nice days, okay? So just enjoy that. But, but I love going to places. And I was talking to a friend recently, they went up to Missouri. They said, we love going to Missouri during the fall because you see the changing of leaves. You see the yellows and greens, cha- the greens change to yellows and, and reds and those beautiful trees on in both the north, uh, the, the east coast and, and, and then the central north. And you take a moment, you look at nature's beauty and Jesus is saying, yeah, look, I've provided for them. I provided for every one of these trees that's changing. I provided for every one of those flowers that is flowering and blooming. I care for things that you overlook. Will I not care for you? And the fourth place he tells us to look is this to look at the root issue. Look at nature. Look at the end of worry. And lastly, look at the root issue. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more care for you, O you of little faith? And that's the issue. That's what he underscores. He says, here's the issue. At the end of the day, we have little faith. We actually don't believe that God is in control and is going to shape our future. We don't trust God with our lives. There's a book, uh, sorry, there's an article written by uh, Stanley Haberwas, and he's a British person. He writes this. The U.S. is more secular than British. This is his assessment. Americans only have a general belief in belief. What's fascinating is this, and I've heard people say this type of thing, which is, um, I have hope, I have hope. Hope in what? Well, I have hope in hope. I have faith in faith. They'll say like, like, um, I feel like I'm losing my faith. And I'm like, I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? You might mean I'm losing my belief in Jesus Christ as the ruler and sustainer of, of life. You might mean that, or you actually might just mean your faith. Some of us as Americans, we have faith in faith. We have belief and belief. We have hope and hope. And let me just tell you, hope and hope, faith and faith, belief and belief, well, that's no hope at all. There's nothing stable with having hope and hope. You don't need to hold on to hope. You need to hold on to Jesus. You need to hold on to something strong enough to sustain you in life. Something that's strong enough to fix the problems and someone who's close enough to care. And that's Jesus Christ. 
And so it's not a blind, like, hope. I hope that hope plays out. I hope, or I have faith that faith might play out. I believe that belief might play out. No, no, no. If I have hope in a chair that will hold me up, that is bad hope because that chair may break. Hope, faith, is the one that's strong enough to save. It's Jesus Christ who has come and lived a perfect life, who has died a death we deserve to die, that has rose in victory over Satan, sin, death, and demons, who is strong enough to fix the biggest problems of the world. He says, I want you to take a pause in this moment to say, look at nature, look at your worry, and I want you to look at your faith. And is your faith placed in the right thing? He says, if it's small and placed in the wrong thing, that's, that's the issue. So he tells us to pause, and then he moves us forward. Every good coach does this. They take a time out, they pause, they reorient us, and then they show us some things to pursue. The Christian life isn't merely about thinking the right things, it's also doing the right things. He says, here's how I want you to move forward now, that we've reset our mind on the right things. Verse 31, he says this, therefore, do not be anxious saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need him. See, the crazy part is the world is in a frenzy and he's saying, look, everyone is worried about everything. That does not set you apart as a Christian. When we enter into that same cycle of worry and fret and fears and anxieties and letting it well up, we look no different than the culture. The Christian is supposed to look different. And the way a Christian looks different is they actually know God. And that's what he says at the end of the verse. He says, the Gentiles worry about all these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows your needs. But do you know him? Do you know God that cares for your needs? Um, There was an ancient ossuary, which is where they basically put dead bones. And it was um, of a a Christian. Most theologians and and, uh, archaeologists all believe that it was a Christian. And what would happen with Christians is when they came to believe in in Jesus Christ, that he died for their sins to forgive them, um, oftentimes they would get a new name. And so some of the names that were given to Christians of old were like uh, James the Just or Frederick the Great. They had different names. Um, but for Christians, they gave him this name, or this was what was on the ossuary. Uh, Titius Amrimnos. Titius means the man. Amrimnos means the one who doesn't worry. So this Christian born in this thing, whatever happened in his life, they said, you know what that man's like? He's the man who doesn't freak out. He is the man that is calm in the midst of storms. He is the man that is not worried about stuff. What about you? The only way you get there is when you come to the God who is in control of everything. What do you think about God? What you think about God is the most important thing about you, says A.W. Tozer. He goes on to say this. Tozer says this. God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirit and relax our nerves. He says, do you actually know God? Christian, do you actually know God that he's in control of this world? 
See, I think one of the problems is this, that we read our Bible like fantasy fiction and not a resume. See, we read it like fantasy fiction, like, like these are great stories of old. They're not a resume that God is putting before us of this is who I am, this is what I can do. And can you imagine if you were interviewing God for the job of universe leader? Like, and, and you read his resume, like the, the word of God was actually his resume that he was putting before you. And you'd be like, okay, have you dealt with any like, I don't know, political uh, and social upheaval? Have you dealt with any of that in your past? He's like, well, um, you know, my people were enslaved in Egypt uh, for a couple hundred years and I got them out of that. Well, how'd you do that? You know, I sent a couple plagues, 10 plagues, and, uh, and I, I saved them some out of that. Like, oh, okay. So not only have you dealt with uh, an oppressive leader um, in a tough spot, that's much tougher than anything we've ever dealt with, um, you saved your people out of that. And you did it, how? By giving plagues? Okay. So you have a little bit of experience in, I don't know, like pandemics? He's like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've got pandemics. I've, I've, I've dealt with that. So what did you do? Like after a plague kind of went, how did you stop it? I just stopped it. You, you just stopped it? Like, yeah, yeah. I just like frogs no more, locusts no more, and then just kind of moved on. Like, like well, how did you do that? Like, well, I, I can control nature. Oh, you, you control nature. So like storms, wind, well, like you've, you've got, you got some experience there? Yeah, you know. I mean, one time I was out with the disciples, uh, the winds and waves were kind of going crazy, and I just said, shh, and they said, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you told them to hush, and the storm stopped? Yeah. And like every now and then I walk on water, just, you know, it's one of the things I do. Like, okay, so wait a minute. You can control political leaders, you can control the winds and the waves. You can control disease and pestilence. Like you have authority over everything. And so when you read the Bible, do you actually read it as, as what God can do, what God has done, and what God will do in the future? Do you read it with that perspective? And he's saying, look, if you actually read the word of God, you would see that I'm like no one you've ever met. I'm like nothing you've ever seen. Isaiah 46, 9 says this way, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there's none other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Do you actually know God? And when we know God, every other struggle we faced gets right-sized. And it's not that these aren't problems. These are problems. These are worries. These are challenges that we need to deal with. The problem is this. We haven't put it in the right order. And we see the world through our worries. We don't let God speak into the worries of the world. So the first is this. We know God. Secondly, he says, I want you to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. C.S. Lewis says this, put first things first and secondary things will follow. But if you put secondary things first, you'll lose both first and second. Are the concerns that we have legitimate? Yes. Just put them in the proper order. Put them below the authority of the king of the universe. Jesus was uh, at one time going to dinner's house, uh, dinner at, to Mary and Martha's house. And he's going to Mary and Martha's house for dinner. Um, these two women were kind of welcoming into their, him into their home and, and providing for him. 
And it was one of those moments, and if you are a, a planner and an organizer and, and hospitality is like your gift, um, you, you, you really despise Mary in this moment. Because Martha is working hard. I mean, she's making the dinner get ready. She's making sure every, all the place settings are just right. The house is clean. She's working, 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 working. And Mary is being worthless in this moment, right? Like she's sitting with Jesus and she's just like sitting at Jesus' feet. And if, if you're like a mama who likes to organize your life and family and you see someone not helping, you will help them. And you will help Jesus help them, right? You'll be like, so she walks over. And goes, Jesus, tell her to help me. Like, tell her to get up off her haunches and help me prepare this so this is an amazing meal for this moment for you. Like, you are not helping me help you help her get this going. And so Jesus in that moment says, Martha, Martha, Martha. You're worried about so many things. But she's focused on the one thing that matters most. And that's not going to be taken from her. What Jesus is saying is this. I want you to focus on me. We focus our eyes on him. On his kingdom. Because he is a king that is bringing in a kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he is saving people out of their sin. And bringing them out of darkness into a marvelous light. We focus on bringing that message and that mission into the world. And we focus on his righteousness. Which means not only do I focus on the king. But I purify my life. I let my life look more like the king's life. I become like his kingdom people. I begin letting him transform my heart and life, his righteousness. I seek his face and I live like he calls me to live. So I know God. I seek his kingdom. And lastly, he says, you take it one day at a time. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's so helpful. He says, why would you borrow anxiety from the future? You've got enough to worry about today. And some of us do that. We look at the next day and the day after that, we're like, hey, I'm worried that might go right. I'm going to have that conversation. That'll go wrong. And when that happens, that'll be bad. And we're like pulling all of that anxiety of the future into our present. And we're saying, and Jesus is like, so, he's so practical. I think you would actually laugh at Jesus if you had a conversation with him. He's like, why are you worrying about stuff that will have its own worries when you get there? You can worry about it tomorrow when you get there. And what he's not saying is don't plan and don't organize your life well. Do those things. He's saying, just don't worry about it here before you get there. So plan the conversation. Make wise financial decisions. Wear a mask appropriately. Don't wear a mask appropriately. Whatever the thing is, great. You walk in wisdom. You just don't let that worry fuel you today. You let tomorrow take care of itself. And Jesus is so practical in his instruction. He's so practical in our lives. So I'm going to give you three simple applications from this text that I think will really help us. And if you would be gracious enough to consider me your pastor, here's an obligation from your pastor. 
So if you have a pen or a phone, pull it out. This will be very helpful for your life. Three things. The first is this. Take a walk and look at God's provision in nature. This will change your life. Take a walk. There are amazing parks here in Tomball. You can go somewhere else in Houston. Go for a walk and look at the trees and look at the birds and look at the grass and look at how God has provided for all of these things that we often overlook or unconcerned about. Take a walk and see God's provision. Secondly, this. Um, this is a, a practice that has helped me so much in life and it's the, the practice of journaling. So I get a journal and I start writing out. When I'm work, walking with God, I, I get up in the morning and I spend time with the Lord and I just start writing all of my concerns, all of my frustrations, all of the cares that I have. And if you read them, you'd be like, Kevin, are you even a Christian? I'm like, hey, just hold on. This is the start, right? And so I just write out all of my complaints, like all of my fears, all of my concerns. I, I write all of those things out. And then I take the word of God and I let the word of God speak into my worries. I don't let my worries shape the word of God. And I let that word calm me in my life. It is a truly helpful practice. Number three, you roll your cares onto the Lord. In 1 Peter 5, Peter gives this great instruction to young men. And I read this when I was a younger man, youngish, I don't know, when I was a young man, and it was so helpful for me, and it continues to be helpful to me today. 1 Peter 5 says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Just take the space as you write out all of those concerns, all of those worries, all those fears, and you take all of those concerns and you roll them onto the Lord. That word cast is, is like throwing out a net. It means you just throw it to the Lord and you cast them onto God and say, God, can you carry these? The God who controls nature, can you carry my concerns about this pandemic? Yes. God, can you control the political climate in the future? Yes, the God who rules over everything can. And I throw all of my anxieties on him. George Mueller, um, England um, in, in the 1800s had um, an issue with a lot of orphans that were there and, and no one to care for them. And George Mueller began building um, an orphanage to care for the Bristol orphans. And what was amazing about uh, George Mueller is that he had no money to do it. And so he would do the most ridiculous thing. He would, he would pray. He would pray. And so there'd be moments when he would have all these kids in his house and he didn't have the money to buy food to feed them, yet it was dinner time. And so they sat down around their dinner table. He says, let's just pray that God brings us food. They would sit there and pray, God, uh, you see that our cupboards are empty, our bank accounts are empty, and we have no food for us. All right, help us. Amen. And he said so many times they would not finish the prayer and there would be a knock on the door. One time in particular, uh, a bread truck had broken, out, broken down outside of their house 
And they said, we got to get this bread to somewhere, but it's going to go bad. So would y'all just eat it? And they're like, yes, sir, we can do that, right? And so they would just bring the bed in, bread in and they had dinner. There'd be moments when he didn't have money to pay for the orphanage or whatever they have, whatever need they have. And there'd be people that walk up and just put a check in his hand, put money in his hand to pay for what they needed to pay for. It was absolutely amazing to see God's provision for a man that just said, Lord, I'm trusting you with my life. I trust you to lead me. He had, at one point, over 10,000 orphans under his watch. Not enough money to care for all of them. And so they asked him, how can you be so calm in the midst of a hectic day, the uncertainties at the orphanage? And he answered this, this way. I rolled 60 things onto the Lord this morning. See that? He said, these concerns aren't for me to carry. They're real. Children need food. You know, that's normal. But I'm going to roll all those onto the Lord and let him provide. Does God care for you? (laughs) Yes. He's given his son for you. Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins. He loves you more than the grass of the field, more than the birds of the sky. He has a future for you. You can come to him with every worry and you can trust him. I don't know where you're at this morning, but one of these pieces probably hit you because they certainly hit me. And I pray that we could be a people that let worry have its rightful place under our glorious King. We pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, thank you that although you spoke 2,000 years ago, your words are so practical and so helpful. Lord, I pray that you would help us to right-size our worries that we wouldn't let the struggles that we face in a given day rule our lives and hearts. And Lord, not that they're not real issues. They are issues. They are rightful concerns. But I pray that they would not rule us. And so Lord, I pray for our political climate. I pray for our new political leaders that you would give us um, just trust in you in the future. Lord, I pray for... um, our financial concerns that we're facing that are very real concerns. I just pray that you would give us peace as we step forward through those. So Lord, I pray that you would make us a people like Tatidius Amaramnas, men and women who do not let worry rule us, but trust the King who controls everything. We love you. I lift all of us to you. It's in your name we pray.